In a world where young minds are shaped by technology and digital trends, how do we guide our children to unlock their true potential? Today on the podcast, I am joined by Dr. Connor Hogan, a performance expert who bridges the gap between elite athletes and the next generation. From the psychology of success and practical strategy empowering kids in sports and in life, this episode promised to be a game changer for parents, coaches, and mentors alike. Discover how to turn potential into excellence next on the podcast. Let's do this. Welcome to the No Sitting on the Sideline Dad podcast, a podcast about a journey of discovery and conversations about not sitting on the sideline of life. Let's get involved. Here's host Joe Foley. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, my name is Joe Foley. I want to thank you for being here. And I'm really glad you're here. I'm glad you're here listening to this podcast. And if this is your first time, welcome. Welcome to the podcast. This podcast is about a journey to discovery. I'm a dad. I'm a parent. I'm a man. I'm a person just trying to figure this stuff out just like you day after day. After day. Seriously, I'm just learning about the sports stuff. We're going to talk today with Dr. Connor Hogan. And I didn't know some of these things. It's interesting to listen to other people's perspective, and especially being the, um, them being the experts. I learn, you learn, we all enjoy the podcast. But I'm really excited to talk with Dr. Connor Hogan. We're going to have a conversation about exploring mental strength, stress management insights, focusing on young people, especially, like I said, I have a 10-year-old son, soccer, and learning how to talk to them after a game is really important. Professional athletes, and training, encouragement, connect. I really enjoy this interview. I think you enjoy this interview too. So let's jump right in. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Connor. Thanks for having me, Patrick. Joseph. You, uh, uh, <laughs> thing, you know, <laughs> I was going to say St. Patrick, but you know, St. Joseph. St. Joseph, St. Patrick, you know, um, the, the St. Bob, that's where most of my ancestors come from over where you are right now in Ireland and in, in Scotland. I, I, you know, it was funny when you, when I was talking about, because I know you're in Ireland and stuff like that. It's funny. I took the DNA test and all of a sudden I was like, wow, I'm like 30% Irish. Next year I'm 60% English. Next year I'm 40% Scottish. It keeps changing. You're all, we're, we all, when we're back in the day, they're all intermingled anyways. Everybody, everybody, you know, because they're so close together, they always interchange and probably in commerce and marriages and stuff like that. For sure. I mean, that's, uh, I mean, we're talking about neuroscience. <laughs> if we go to back to like Pangea and when all the earth was together and the, the islands were together, essentially, like you said, Ireland and Scotland as an example, you can just check it out on the map, but the north of Ireland just came from Scotland. So it's, you know, it's just like the glove of the mother as such. And so <laughs> like, there's a slight difference, obviously, yeah. in the accents of Scotland and Ireland. Well, a good bit of a difference, but it seems slight, perhaps, if you're American and listening to this. But if you're actually analyzing this, the accents of the south of Ireland, even the west or the south of Ireland, and the north of Ireland and versus the Scot Scottish place and the Scottish land, Scottish country, obviously, the north of Ireland would be by far the most similar to the Scottish land, Scotland, because, of course, they're very close. And so... We've ripped apart, but here we are together with the internet. And you know what? It's funny what you just said there, though, because way back when, like with the science of this all, is that, yes, like the stupidity of racism. It's so silly. It's mm -hmm. crazy. And it's about being the best. And that's, I think, when we talk about children, when we talk about performance, 
and we talk about what it is, I think like we can say, hey, you're from such and such a place or that street down there, they never have athletes or that street down there, they don't have, or that borough down there, they don't have talent or people don't graduate or whatever else. It's not about that. It's not about where you're from because you can go back far enough to your genetics, like we said, and you'll find heroes and champions back there. Or else you can kind of, if you don't find, if you find it down the street with a person that you're not related to, you can mimic them. Either way, you can do the best, right? And it's mm-hmm. all about performance at the end of the day. And just to say on that as well, I think the main thing is, and maybe it would kind of uh, scope this conversation is parents often think with regard to, I want my child to be happy, or at least one parent, say if you've got a couple, I want them to be happy. What do you want them to be when they grow up? I want them to be happy. Or some of them say, well, I want them to like do what they're good at. And I think that's a re- that can be like two different areas that the child then goes into or the parents perhaps put them into or the way they treat them. And so that's how the child is influenced. And therefore, the production of that is the performance. Well, it's interesting too. Like uh, my son, I, he likes he likes different sports and I try and encourage him to try everything. Like he just um, really discovered that he really likes soccer, but he likes baseball and eh, he likes basketball a little bit, but he really, really likes soccer. And when a younger age, how do you encourage kids to choose what direction they want to go in? Do they try everything or just you kind of see what they do? Yeah, I think it's good to try everything from a holistic point of view with regard to, I mean, if we t- take movement, you said you know, soccer, baseball, football, whatever else, the common denominator, obviously, athletically, there is track, right? Mm-hmm. So often you get a lot of really talented athletes to make the NFL or NBA or whatever else, and they would have run track as well. But there's also a lot of footwork, you know, there's a lot of ball handling, things like that. But the brain then, you know, it loves all of those things because the movements of, say, if you're uh, a pitcher, if you're using that continuous movement all of the time, it's fantastic. This one part of the brain is being activated. It's being uh, uh, specialized in that area. It's never going to forget that long-term memory once you do it when you're very, very young. And so it's really going to help you even across another sport years later. Mm -hmm. And so that's giving you an advantage, right? If you jump high in a sport like basketball, you can always adapt that into other sports. Like, for example, you mentioned the World Cup. And one of the things that a lot of commentators that are very pro Cristiano Ronaldo at the moment, even though he's 37 years of age, <laughs> is because he can jump high still. Yeah. And because he's done that work over the years himself personally, perhaps in the gym and so on. But he has that other ability that others don't have. So, you know, last few minutes of the game, if you want to bring him on as a substitute, if he's not playing the next round right now, they've just won 6-1. But if people are just, you know, listening to this later on, imagine he was dropped or benched for a match, even though like he was captain and such a brilliant player in his career. But you'll always have that kind of tactic that you just pump the ball in high and he'll be able to have that advantage over others. And that's because he's done the work when he was young. So the question is to me is do all those dif- different things, but it's more about like, how do you direct them mentally? Because you will get the outcome, not just of the physical attributes and the skills development that are cross-curricular across the sports, but also the social things, right? You're you're mixing with people of different cultures because they're common in certain sports, um, division one colleges, division two, division three. So you're mixing with people with different academic abilities and different backgrounds uh, socioeconomically. So this is all good. This builds a better person because guess what? At the end of the day, the top organizations, they want a really good person. Why? Because they're coachable so that the very top coaches can mold them 
into playing, be it in a different position or uh, to practice in a different way or to adapt or to become a captain or a leader or whatever else. So they want that versatility. So the more sports you're playing at a younger age, the better it can only be, the better it is. However, it's really, I think, important for the parent to have a really aligned, closely aligned conversation with the child all the way along with regard to what they're really good at. So if it's just one attribute, like I said, like pitching, Mm -hmm. and they like a different sport like basketball, can that attribute be adopted into the game of basketball with regard to how they can be good at basketball? So that's a way of looking at it, I think. Well, interesting too, you mentioned something about social socializing and socialization with the kids, especially nowadays with the society where it is, kids are not, they're not as social as they used to be. I remember growing up, we go outside, we play till the lights come on, till the parents start yelling. We play a game of kickball, football, baseball, pickup games, and they don't do that as much as they used to, or maybe not at all, especially after the pandemic. So the point, I think I'm wondering how important is the socialization, and especially now? I think it's huge. I think it's huge because at the end of the day, what you want when, and my book looks at this, my research in the gym upstairs looks at this, the pressure, because at the end of the day, like we can Google right now and children are doing this. They're Googling, they're going on YouTube and TikTok and so on. And they're seeing all of these incredible skills right now. It's the World Cups. So you can just scroll down for like five minutes and you'll see all of these like keep yuppies with the football or, you know, if it's uh, NBA season, they'll start seeing, you know, three point shots. The halfway line, you know, all these kind of things. So it's all these skill competitions. So they can pick these up straight away. But with regard to like who the best player, the goats mm-hmm. can consistently do things under pressure at the last, you know, in the last few seconds, take that shot on and not think about it. But it actually molded within them from a very young age to be able to do that. So what is the pressure? The pressure really is made up of atmosphere. Mm-hmm. When people around you, so you've got a stadium full of people, thousands of people, or in the NBA, maybe not as many, but it's really tight, isn't it? So you yeah. feel the energy. And then if you know, for example, with the Super Bowl, that there's cameras on you, it's those couple of split seconds, that interruption, as we all know, like a guy who's getting 30 points in a basketball game, he might get that from the big day because he's not able for pressure. Rewind back to your use. Like you said, all the things you said, like going outside from light to light, light to dark. And just, you know, knocking around, being with children, being, you know, socializing, adapting to, to fears, threats, dares, you know, all those things we did when we were children. <laughs> I dare you to do this, you know, right? <laughs> you know, it's a great movie, um, with the guys that are going on the railway track for the dead body and it. Mm-hmm. it oh, oh, yeah. I remember that movie. Like <laughs> in Phoenix, you know, and it's, um, it, it's a brilliant movie because it's the coming of age. They're 12, 13 years of age. And I think one of the lines at the end, not to give it away, stand by me, by the way. Stand by me. It's, um, that was a summer, you know, that was a summer kind of things changed after that, they said, you know. And so you have to be able to adapt because as we know, as you go into adolescence, it's a time of change, chemistry changes in your body, you know, the opposite of sex or the same sex or whatever else, sex itself becomes a thing. You become more independent as an individual and so on. And then, of course, a few years later, we're going to college or we're leaving, you know, we're hitting adulthood. Politics becomes a thing. Money becomes a thing. So there's all these different things and distractions. So what and how you learn when you're very young holistically, not just athletically, not just tactically, is really important for the end individual with regard to their outcomes and their performance later on. Well, there's so many, um, like especially youth sports, there's so many things you learn just by more than just throwing the baseball. I think more than just throwing the football around and stuff like that is 
you know, overcoming challenges and um, coming, uh, overcoming things that didn't work out exactly the way they were supposed to. Maybe what are some ways that maybe parents can help kids overcome those kind of disappointments and, and form better or maybe, maybe overcome and come back and have a great game the next game? Yeah, so you mentioned at the top of the show with regard to my percentage improvement. I made a terrible mistake. You didn't make a mistake because you said, I think it was 7%. That's yeah. true. Yeah. But it's 7% performance to performance. So for example, if a child has, like, to take your question there, if a child has a game on a Saturday and then doesn't play to the next Saturday, they work with me, for example, then by that next Saturday, they're going to have a 7% increase, right, in their mm-hmm. performance levels. So what I'm saying is here, and with children and parents working together, knowing, number one, what is their sport or what is their position, at least, even if playing several sports and they're really, really young, because that's what makes them happy. For them to succeed, even if you can say after the game, look, you lost, you didn't, you know, you didn't play well as a team, but you know what? You got that, that great pass. You know, not many other people could see that pass that it was on at that time. So let's build on that, right? So you have to take that. I mean, losing is a, is a fantastic thing because it gives you a curriculum mm-hmm. to go forward with. You know, we have this kind of, um, defined curriculum in schools and you know, we might get a language to learn, we might get math and so on, geography, history, and so on. But if you lose, that's just exposing your weakness. So you now have a new curriculum to go off before the next performance. That's a wonderful thing. The more you lose, if you're in a bad team and you're, you're a really good player and you really want to get better, you lose. That means you're going to try and pick up the pieces for all the people around you. So you're learning about different positions, you're different, different characters, weakness. You find your strength and so on. So losing is a really good way to kind of allow you to perform better with the next performance. Almost like I was thinking about resilient mindset. That's something you get, it's not, I mean, some kids get it, some kids don't. What are one, some ways to maybe improve their uh, resilient mindset? Lose. That's, <laughs> That's what you just said, lose. <laughs> well, I mean, look, if you go out, let's do the opposite, right? If you go out and you are fantastic, you score the most points, you get all the touchdowns, you know, you're the best player, MVP, and you win everything and you win every year in every competition. What do you learn? Well, you learn you're the best. Cool. But you have nothing to expose your weaknesses. So then you have to play a little game with yourself and say, Hey, well, where, where do I want to go? I mean, if I'm the best in Little League, that's fantastic. But if you want to be the top of the MLB, that's a whole different ballgame. There's many other states out there you have to compete against. Maybe you're not doing it this year. It might take 10, 12 years, whatever else, till you grow up to be able to play against those top, top hitters. And so you have to start looking out there. And one of the things is, look at, you know, and baseball is a really good example, I think, because it has a huge catalog over the years of points and, and, and statistics with regard to players and great players. And yes, I know, you know, over a 20 year period or even a 10 year period. And like you said, when you're young versus now, it's difficult to kind of compare, you know, if the ball gets lighter, if the bat gets heavier, whatever else. So there's different, and there's difference in rules and so on, and weathers and so on. But really and truly, if you want to aim for the height, you have to look at what the, the best players have done of all time and then go for that and then criticize yourself. Even if you score all the points, all the touchdowns, make the passes as a, as a quarterback or whatever else. And you win every game and every competition. Still not good enough because if you want to go to the top, that's what the top is. Well, one example, I guess I'm thinking about when you were talking about all this stuff before, and and one example we have here is Tom Brady. 
Tom Brady, uh, he's a Tampa Bay Buccaneer, and 45 years old playing the NFL. Yeah, he had to put, he had to start building blocks a lot younger when he was a kid and stuff, but he is an amazing example for kids, I think. Yeah. And I mean, the thing about it is with Tom Brady as well, I'm sure if you dig into, say, his weekly or even monthly routine, well, undoubtedly, when he's during season, there's no doubt about, I'm sure that he goes to bed on time. Mm -hmm. And every night he goes to bed at that time. He doesn't wait up, you know, 15 minutes late just to watch the second half of a sitcom or something like that. So he does everything to a T. He eats to a T. He drinks to a T. He sinks to a T. And everything that he intakes, be it conversations, people around him and so on, he does that to a T, to a plum, because he knows the formula that works for him. But as you said, he's fighting ages, ageism and, well, ageism publicly and the media are going to love that when he doesn't play well and so on. Because they'll say, oh, you know, he's, he's trying to be this and he, he can't be that. And who does he think he is? And so on. But he has a huge catalog of, um, experience himself over his career and nobody knows himself better than himself, even though he's aging. Right. So, mm -hmm. I mean, the science is there right now. If we look at physically for a man or woman to be very, very fit and healthy much later than 45. And there's absolutely like, for example, I'll give you an example. You talk about Tom Brady. We take uh, American football right now. One of my clients, he's 57 years old. He's oh, trying wow. to be the oldest man to play Division One college football. Oh, wow. He's tried this already. His name is Ian Hill, if anybody wants to look him up or check me out, you know, and you'll, you'll get him through me. Ian Hill, he's a social entrepreneur, extremely talented guy, very successful over the years. But he's doing this because he wants to help other men. He's had massive problems himself. And we talk about the mental game. You touched on it again at the top of the show with regard to like mental problems that are out there nowadays. And a lot of young people have these challenges. You mentioned resilience, for example. So he had a lot of depressive problems and episodes in the past. And he's trying to push himself to do things that he truly knew he should have done. He never played college football back in the day, but he did coach at a very high level. And in fact, was very successful when he was very young. And so he's pushing himself beyond the limits physically. Now, if you check him out and just you know check out the pictures even of him physically, from say a year ago to now, it is night and day, but the <laughs> training he's done, but it all comes from the mindset. So I helped him with that. So like Tom Brady is a, you know, phen phenomenal guy, but I've no doubt in when he goes, maybe not for, you know, extreme ability of performance, but certainly there will be players that will def or more players that will hit 45 in the coming years. Well, and interesting too, is how, what is stress play on, um, on our lives and stuff like that? Because Stress can, I notice how stress can also make you sick. Stress can make you have long-term health problems. Stress cause, you know, depression and mental illness. How can somebody deal with stress and, and overcome that? Well, the first thing is we have to look at the external. And I think that's the pressure, right? Mm -hmm. um, we perceive it is the pressure. So our perceptions of what's going on. So like I said before, if you're in the, the cauldron and there's a lot of people around you, it's a fr you know, Friday night lights, football, whatever else. And you've got parents, you've got your uh, family, your cousins, your friends, girlfriends, boyfriends, etc. All around you, peers, uh, school teachers, people you want to impress, scouts, coaches. You know, this is, there's so many different relationships. I said this, I would do this, I was bragging about that. But it's how you perceive what's going on, be it the shout in the crowd or the yell 
or whatever else, how you perceive, you have two ears, yes, you have two eyes, but you can change it between your ears, within your mindset, with regard to how you think and adapt to things. So that's the external stuff, the noise, we call it. But your stress in your body then, of course, your brain is really linked down through your spinal cord. And so there's a huge amount of nerves and nerve endings there. And what that can do then is, even though you've practiced a lot of times at a specific skill or position or game or sport or whatever else, that if you don't perceive it correctly, and if you don't kind of adapt what you can see externally, hear externally in the crowd and so on, well, then that can change. And when you said like, for sure, your body can then become rattled, right? Mm-hmm. You can shaky, you can start running into a toilet more often, all these different things, different symptoms. And so you can actually be the worst performer on the day, even though you didn't mean it. And of course, then that goes into your memory bank. And then it's like tough. Oh my gosh, I'll never be the top star I knew I could be, or I know I have the talent to be. So it's really all about how you manage that. And so the other way to look at that as well is that, believe it or not, you can have good stress too, mm-hmm. right? So you mentioned bad things that can happen, but it can also make you do good things. So like we've heard stories before about people in panicky situations or, you know, a lot of other people would see as being panicky. For example, if a, a car fell on somebody, right? If somebody was like, just, you know, getting a ball with their mitt under yeah. the car, would underneath and, you know, the car jacks down or whatever. And then suddenly they get, you know, super strength and they pick them up and Afterwards, you know, the person came out and there's no injury. And it's like, well, what the heck? How did you do that? Well, I don't know because I'm not that strong, but <laughs> that's the adrenaline kicking in. So there's things in your brain that we can elicit when we put, so what we perceive externally and how we process them can either turn it into a negative stress or into a positive stress. And that will come through our brain via our eyes and our ears and so on. And so even the things that we're doing on the downtime, like, how we spend our time with ourselves, what we're thinking, doing when nobody's looking. So the practice, if you know you've practiced, for example, mm-hmm. if you know you've put in the hard yards, and there's this, you know, there's a lot of things said in the past with regard to 10,000 hours and all this. It's not necessarily the thousands, the 10,000. It's how much you know you've improved and how much work multiplied by how much work equals when that moment comes a pressure and like all these kind of, you know, somebody lets a yell in a crowd, you know, and it really kind of should um, change your kind of mindset and you might get, you know, peed off and think, oh, that's the bully or whatever else that's trying to put me off. But if you know you've earned it, there's no shame, there's no ridicule, and there's no fear there. And you know you've done the, the work. That's a huge bed of confidence. And that can really help you going forward. Well, I was thinking about, too, is um, playing golf. I was thinking about golf and stress. And I remember playing myself and i'm like oh i'm gonna crush this ball 400 yards i'm gonna get up there and i'm and i'm thinking about it and i'm visualizing it and then all of a sudden i get feel the tension in my arms and i only hit it like three feet so i, I was thinking about the stress and the mental mental aspect of like just relax focus let let everything go you, you you've done the, the practice swings five times you're gonna hit a great shot instead you want to tense up and all of a sudden your mind plays tricks and you like get really tense and Hit it three feet. Yeah, it's funny you should say that because one of the people that I've done research on, and there's a few in golf and the book in the gym upstairs book, is a guy called Butch Harmon. So who was Butch Harmon? Butch Harmon was Tiger Woods' earlier golf coach when he was professional oh, cool. golf. Yeah. So there's some great anecdotes within the book where I ask him things like this. 
And he talks about how Butch and a couple of other top, top golfers, how he could see them at a very young age when, even though, again, they were younger, they weren't, for example, uh, in, in Augusta or on the Masters circuit at the time, but the pressure that they felt at their age group in order to qualify and to get past that, he could see at that age because he was experienced as a coach that these guys were going to make and not only make it, but they were going to actually get to the very top and win majors because of how they were fluid with their swing. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things. So if we go back to, for example, the brain and how kind of the tributaries of the spine, the spine then is all like linked to all these nerve endings. And then of course, eventually it goes to your peripheral nerve, nervous system. And then of course, like your arms and your, your swing and all this in tandem and golf. Your spine can either get a little bit tight because what happens with tightness, where does tightness come from? It comes from when we're a little bit tense, right? Mm-hmm. We're a little more anxious. And of course, in golf, you've got a split second because when you draw back that club and, you know, you let fly, I mean, of course, with the fulcrum, the weight of your body is going to either hit that ball, bang on, mm-hmm. exactly where you aimed it to be, or slight bit off. And if it's a slight bit off, as we know in golf, you can go into the woods, into the water, into the bunker and whatever else. So, to get it consistently correct is to be able to sink and to just keep that fluidity throughout your round of golf. And again, it comes from your perception of what's out there and how you deal with the pressures of the day. I was just curious, can, can people overthink stuff? And they would think things, think way too much and, and, and develop bad habits? So there's different ways of thinking. Yep. So we can, for example, when we're in school, we're often analyzing things like we look at, say, math, the mathematical problem. We could do it two or three times and eventually go, oh, that's not the way to do it. There's a system, there's a process. I learned it, I'll do it this way. But of course, more complex mathematical problems a couple of years later, we might try four or five ways of doing it. Eventually, we'll figure it out. So that's kind of analyzing things, right? But when we're playing sport and trying to be, like you said, golfed, it's just, it's really just a consistent swing. Okay, other than putting, but it's really just a consistent swing, whether it's uh, with a nine iron or a pitching wedge back to like a, a heavy driver. So it's just about doing with more weight behind the body, a little bit more velocity and so on. A lot of great sports people, they do one thing really well, consistently well over the years. And so that is what is their role on the team. So if we can kind of just practice those things and just do the one thing well, like that's going to get us, you know, hugely over a lot of homes later on. So I guess what we're saying here is a lot of the stuff does go back to childhood. If you do it well, mm-hmm. and if you're around the right people, like the dad in your <laughs> life, and it's really important. You know, what's really important conversations you have, you know, it's really, really important back to what you're saying earlier on, you know, if you lose or if you win or whatever else, it's as important to go out for an hour and have ice cream and just talk about the game and their feelings around it. Talk about all the different aspects. You begin to see little kind of breadcrumbs of hope, of ambition, or maybe they're not really interested in this particular game. You know, so little things really, really helps. And you know what? You mentioned earlier on about socialization. Nowadays, we have the gift of technology. Mm -hmm. We also have the phones that are a big distraction. And if you're just doing the things that we would see in Stand By Me, for example, going out like hanging out in ca- cafes and stuff like that with your mates. If you can take the phones out of the way for that, I mean, eyeball to eyeball, especially like I said, people, young people have missed out for a couple of years 
on real maturation of having these face-to-face conversations. So it's really important to be intentful as a parent, to be that first coach, to be that best coach. Well, I was thinking about, so you mentioned that too, and I think we may, um, also too, do you think there's a lot of mental health challenges right now with children because of the last couple of years? Well, there is, but at the same time, there was kind of a growing epidemic, really, of those challenges in the Western world before the pandemic, right? Mm -hmm. So, for example, there was a lot of talk, especially in the media or the kind of quizzical media with regard to, hey, these phones, these screens, et cetera, maybe around 2018, 19, you know, isn't it funny how they're kind of... uh, a lot of young people are using these screens and a lot of hours and spending the hours on it. Suddenly they're also like feeling depressed and anxious more so than previous generations. I wonder, is there an alignment? But of course, then we went fast forward into the pandemic and lockdowns and everyone was saying, thanks, bit of God for technology, because at least we can socialize. So we have to realize that at the end of the day, human beings haven't changed that much over a couple of generations. Right. Our eyeballs are kind of more or less the same size as Mm -hmm. perhaps our grandparents' eyeballs. Our ears and what we hear are physically the same. We're not two foot taller. Right. Mm -hmm. So we don't need that much adaptation via technology for everything. I mean, look at all the apps on these phones. That's true. Like, do we really need them all? We don't. However, there's one good app perhaps for me to help me with my performance. Great. Fantastic. But all the natural abilities that you need are there for you when you go out on the court, on the field, on the track, or whatever else, when the pressure is on, because that's the difference between a great player or athlete and just a good one. It's okay to have all the skills, no problem. But if you want to actually perform and win, you have to be able to do it under pressure. So taking away all of those things, you're going to actually learn all of those things. And then, like you said, here's the thing. Yes, there are problems out there for sure. There's no doubt about it. And we don't know, the the research is saying on this, by the way, we don't know what the outcomes of this will be, like say in 10, 15, 20 years time, because this is the first time we've gone through this. So we can't really look at it versus like 10, 20 years ago or a generation ago. But it's becoming clear, I think, as we all begin to live through this, especially like say with a pandemic, it's a real intense kind of period of all of this screen time and so on. And then there's no socialization. So it's becoming clear for sure. There's little tidbits where you can actually see not just socialization, but also where the changes in diets and the obesity epidemic for younger people is coming along as well, aligned with the amount of screen time, even if they're playing a lot of sport, right? Yeah. Because this, you know, the light on the screens, the, um, what's going on in social media, what people are beginning to think about what is a healthy attitude towards uh, being authentic or versus not being authentic online, what is real online, what is not a, online and so on and so forth. That then can trigger our thoughts between our ears. Yeah. And that triggers how I feel even just with my friends when I go out, you know, playing ball. Will I put on certain clothes? Will I not put on certain clothes? Will I do my hair? Will I not? Will I put on makeup? Will I not? Or whatever else. And so then what happens? A lot of people then might eat too much. They might drink or take um, drugs or whatever else, even if it's just as a coping mechanism. And what happens then? Of course, the chemistry in your brain will change. Even if you're maturing or, you know, developing as a teenager, 
you're going to be off kilter a little bit. You're not going to be at the races really with your peers. So it's, it's, it's really important now more than ever. You touched on resilience to have that. And it's tough. It's tough because if everyone has the phones and if everybody's spending 12 hours a day on them and stuff, why can't I? Right. I get that. But if you, if you start looking, I think if children and young people start looking at the longer term, where do I want to be right now? Where do I want to be in 10, 15 years time? And then start mimicking that particular, um, comparison and what has happened in the past for people to get there. They will get there a lot easier because of your competition is lowering down with regard to all the anxieties that are out there. Interesting. And so, and resilient the children and stuff like that. And we don't, like you said, we don't know the effects to long-term, what the, the, um, all the tablets and screen time and stuff like that. Also too, is your book, the, um, the gym upstairs. I want to touch a little bit on that. Um, what is that book about? What is, what are some things that people are going to pick it up to? What would they, what would they read about? Well, it's all about kind of things we're talking about today, really. I thought you had read it and you were like, okay, we'll dig into this part. So that was pretty cool. And so um, essentially, yeah, it's looking at pressure. And what I've done is I've gone around the MLB, the uh, NBA, the NFL, uh, soccer world cup stars and coaches uh, with regard to, you know, some that are in the premiership, premier league in England or the champions league as well in European football, the rugby world cup. And various other sports and top comp- competitors, including Olympic champions. And so I've kind of done a lot of analysis and research on these people and what makes them do what they do and where it is that, you know, they think younger people can go with regard to their performance and how to get there and what are the most important attributes. And it's all there in a box, in a book, really more so. And so what you have then, uh, you know, each chapter and each topic that we touch on is techniques, strategies as well. So it's not just showing, hey, or saying, hey, this is what, you know, you can do to get to the top to avoid pressure when it comes, because it will come. But also it's saying, here's the techniques and strategies. Use these, do these things, multiply it by the time you have, even as a young person, or by the way, an older person. And even if you're not a sports person, a parent can use it. And in fact, if a parent picked up this book, and just checked out a couple of the things and the strategies, even just the strategies alone, put them into their own lives. They're going to find themselves a much better parent, a much better leader of their household. And even if they didn't spend a lot of time with a child or so working very, very hard, that will just kind of filter down through them. And there's going to be a better atmosphere at home. And it's just going to arise and motivate the children to do more, I think. Well, there's a reason I mentioned that as uh, the, the book. I was wondering so people would understand a little more and stuff like that, because I want them to know about your book because I think it's important. I think it's important that they find about a little more about it and stuff like that. What kind of feedback have you gotten from it? I was kind of curious. Yeah, it's funny because, by the way, the book is not just like a recent project with regard to the last couple of years. It's not just only what I said there. Uh, like the initial kind of concept came from here in Ireland, where I looked at the top playing players and stars of the Irish games. And the huge difference between that actually is Irish sports, though they're at the very top elite level and a lot of the top athletes have gone and played professional sport. In fact, we have one, another client of mine who's over playing, um, American football and is trying to be the, well, is the first division one college football player from Ireland. And so he played a very, to a very high level in the Irish sports over here, but it's looking at amateurism at the very, very top level. And by the way, 
Olympic Olympians in many, many countries, even though they're Olympic champions at times too, can be from amateur sports, but they're, you know, just as committed, just as fit, just as prepared as professional athletes. So it's looking at, and you mentioned as well the socialization, which is really interesting. It's looking at all the things the amateurs do that they don't have to do as professionals versus what the professionals have to do in that goldfish bowl that they can't do, you know, what maybe when they were younger, for example. And so there's a comparative element there as well to get the most out of a person as well. So the feedback really is essentially that there's, you know, huge clarity coming out of what we should do now if we're coming up, if we're trying to kind of prepare ourselves for this whole world of not just performance in front of, you know, 50,000 people, but also in front of essentially massive amount of cameras because 50,000 people now have a camera each and that can <laughs> multiply, multiply to be a TikTok video or whatever else. And suddenly you might be the greatest quarterback out there, but you're the funniest guy that fell coming off the field and your life has changed. So we've seen that right in documentaries and so on. Because, like, say, for example, Paul Pogba, yeah. a French footballer who played in the last World Cup, I think he's injured now or whatever, but he played for Manchester United a couple of times. He had a kind of questionable attitude, but huge physical ability. But he was so popular that he had more social media fans than Manchester United on well, social media. So you're well, building a brand, it's all of that, yeah. Well, it's funny thing, another funny video became a meme as a football player, I think it was the New York Jets. He missed the exchange from the, the hike, the guy was on, um, Hiking the ball to the quarterback, quarterback missed it, and it was, it was a fun. I don't remember exactly, but it was. I remember it was a meme, and it's a fumble because he fell right into the the, uh, the center, right behind it, run right top of the center. It was it was a, it was funniest thing in the world because that one little mistake, one mental mistake, you know, fumble, uh, the team gets the ball. It well, just made me think about that. Yeah, and that's, and I mean, think of where the person's life goes then from that. Like, think of all the sponsors, whether they want to be uh, aligned with that personality or not. Or that particular video, you know, if that goes viral, it's not always great, by the way, to go viral. So no, no. But I mean, the reality is the world is going to a more advanced space with technology. It's not going to decline. And so the children, and I think this conversation is really important between parents and children with regard to not just sport, but everything, because children can definitely teach the adults a lot, as we know, mm-hmm. they're digital press buttons and download this and the other that parents will never see or could conceive when they were younger. But also parents then have to go, well, you know what? This is what happened before all of this. And this is the value of life. The value of performing at your highest level is not getting all the cars and getting all the, the rich things. It's about being able to fulfill your ability to be feeling that you've given the value, that you've represented your team, your sport, that you are a good role model, and all of these kind of more character-driven things rather than the, all the aesthetic things that unfortunately is really exposed for young people nowadays because all of this is going to become more pronounced as the web develops in the next few years. So it's really important, I think, to continue to have those conversations with young people. Dr. Connor, where they connect you and they find more about you and ask more questions um, if they have, want to reach out? Yeah, and, and I would say definitely reach out, right? If you don't even want to work with me, that's okay. No problem. There's no big thing. <laughs> but if there's anything that was said in this particular conversation or anything that kind of touches or even, you know, something that you might say, for example, in further um, shows, the thing is, give me an email. 
pop me a message, whatever else. I'll put you in touch with somebody. You know, I don't mind Like at the end of the day, we're talking about teamwork. We need to be able to give back as well. Right. So you can get in touch with me on docconnor.com. That's D-O-C-C-O-N-O-R.conor.com. That's my website. And the gym upstairs is on Amazon, all good. Um, Amazon.coms.ie's, co.uk's or wherever else as well. Well, Dr. Con, thank you much for being on the podcast today. I really do appreciate the links that will be in the show notes for this episode. I really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thanks for having me. A few things for wrapping up. I want to thank Dr. Con Hogan being a guest on the podcast. You can find more about him and on links to his books in the description. Also, the website is docconor.com. Also, any questions or concerns, please reach out. No sitting on the sideline.com slash contact. Hey, you just want to say hello. Let me know how you're doing. Hey, drop me a line. Say, hey, I like the episode or eh, it was okay. <laughs> I'm open to feedback and I'd like to hear your opinion. Please subscribe to the podcast and tell a friend. Get the message out. Get the, the word about this podcast. Tell a friend. Thank you for listening and making this far on the podcast. Until next time, take care. God bless. See you soon. <laughs>